Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for another podcast at the Gospel Rescue Mission. Uh, Today's podcast is the audio version of a video that we did uh, where I interviewed Mr. Kevin Dar from U-Turn for Christ. He is the executive director there, and it's just a a great video, a great interview. I hope that you enjoy it, and give us a listen, and let us know what you think. So my name is Brian Boteller. I'm the Director of Resident Services at the Gospel Rescue Mission. I've been working with uh, homeless people for probably the better part of 20 years, been working for the Gospel Rescue Mission, um, and really intentionally and in-depth working with uh, homeless here in Grants Pass for almost 12 years now. Um, my guest is Mr. Kevin Dar. Kevin, tell me, who tell everybody who you are and what you do. Well, I'm the executive director of U-Turn for Christ, and uh, basically what that is, it's a ministry, a uh, residential uh, drug and alcohol treatment ministry that is based here in Grants Pass. And what we do is, is similar to the Gospel Rescue Mission in the sense that um, it's a highly structured environment where men can come in who struggle with or are in bondage to alcohol or drug addiction. And through um, uh, a mentoring process, and uh, we uh, allow them to uh, really go through our program in such a way that, with through accountability, we we uh, keep them occupied physically, spiritually, and mentally. So as they go through this process, we can develop the tools that they need to once they transition out of our program to be. Um, you know, a, a valuable a blessing to society, to their family, help them restore the relationships. And me personally, uh, this all bore out of a couple of different things. Before that, in Southern California, I was a director of a, a homeless ministry called Warmth for the Weary. And one of the things that I noticed in that was kind of like what we were talking about earlier, Brian, is that there was... Uh, before I got into the homeless ministry aspect, the way the news portrayed it, you all, you know, there was this uh, poor lady who, um, you know, was kicked out of her apartment. Her and her kids are homeless and just needs a little hand up to get back out. But that's not what I found when, when I really started diving in the homelessness. What I found is usually there was three things that, um, as to why people were homeless. One was addiction. Um, you know, they would rather um, use the money that otherwise could be used for rent, utilities, et cetera, uh, for drugs. Um, a lot of them would freely admit it to me once I really got to know them. They're like, you know, I'd rather be living in a tent but have more money for my party. And the second thing, there was homeless or um, uh, mental illness And kind of as we were talking about, a lot of the mental illness, I believe, was drug-induced, but I'm sure there was some where, you know, it was the other way around, uh, you know, where they're trying to self-medicate their mental illness away. And then the the third thing was several, uh, a lot of them uh, had legal issues that they were hiding from. And so, you know, once I kind of had a clearer picture of what that was, it kind of led me down some roads because I used to work for the government. And um, in the job that I did, I, I, I kind of investigated the worst 1% of crimes that happened to people who were dependents of the state of California. And in 100% of those cases, 
there was some kind of illicit drug use, you know, just because let's uh, drug use is such a, you know, it's a gateway to evil. You know, um, I know even back in my college days when I used to drink or whatever, there was things where I did when I was uh, drinking that I would have never done sober. So magnify that with someone who, you know, is using hard drugs, meth, heroin, or whatever. Yep. And they're, you know, and they'd perpetrate evil that they would have never probably dreamed of doing uh, sober. Sure. And so those were the kind of people that we dealt with. And all of that uh, kind of led me here to Oregon, back to my home state, uh, to start the ministry because there's such a huge need um, for the kind of ministries that we run in the sense that um, I know a lot of the guys that have gone through our program and said, you know, I've been through secular program after secular program, and I didn't get from it what I needed. You know, yeah. Yeah. every everything from, you know, the idea of cocktails on the beach in rehab to, um, you know, $40,000 a a month kind of thing to... Where you got your personal massage therapist yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, hey... Those may work for somebody, right. you know, and everything, but uh, but you're going, yeah. There's there's really there's there's a more grassroots, more nuts and bolts way of uh, attacking this, and in, in that's available, and and it's been available for over two thousand years in some ways, you know. Exactly, and and you know that's kind of the whole thing behind you know our ministry. It's you know our kind of our tagline is freedom from drugs and alcohol through Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, and and that's really what we believe. That's really what we ingrain in our men. Um, you know, so not only can they be equipped to deal with life's issue from a, a biblical. Um, point of view when they leave our program, but they can also take that home to their families. And, you know, we do a sure. lot of marriage counseling and that kind of stuff, because let's be honest, um, addiction doesn't only affect the addict, but it affects the family, the spouse, the kids, et Absolutely. cetera. And, yeah. and so there's a lot of brokenness that needs to be dealt with. And um, going back to the low bar um, conversation that we had earlier, it's like, you can't possibly deal with all of the underlying issues by setting a low bar. Yeah. It's just not possible. You know, it would be, it's kind of just putting a Band-Aid on the real issues. That would be almost like if you had a lesion or something, a cancerous lesion, and you kept putting a Band-Aid on it so it don't bleed. All right, you're going to stop the bleeding temporarily, but the, it's never going to go away until you're you still deal. still going to remove the cancer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and to me, I see it the... The kind of work that we're attempting to do by holding people to a higher standard um, is really saying that we have enough faith, trust, and we love them enough to hold them accountable. Because it'd be easy to set a low bar and just say, sure. hey, you want to smoke? You want to get high? Just try not to do it here. And, yeah. you know, But you can have a warm place to come, and you can come eat food, and we'll all feel better about ourselves. But nobody ever, nobody ever gets out of that pattern. Right, right. Well, that's, um, you know, man, you know, it, again, we end up singing a lot of the same song, man, you know. <laughs> um, now, uh, with U-Turn, about how many guys do you take care of at a time? 
Um, on average, on average, throughout both phases of the ministry, there's probably between 20, 25 guys that we deal with. And and are you just here in Southern Oregon? Um, I mean, how big of an organization is U-Turn for Christ? We have about 20 throughout the United States. We have them in um, Mexico, Thailand, the Philippines, uh, Colombia, Africa. So it's kind of it started in Southern California and has spread out okay. over the years. So. Yeah. So, um, so we're not talking about, you know, again, we're not talking about just a couple of local boys that are just, you know, made up uh, a program out of, you know, whole cloth um, because we're just good Christian young men. Um, but we're talking about, you know, organizations that are drawing from the experience of, of, you know, uh, na- nationwide and international, you know, experience. And I mean, at Gospel Rescue Missions, there's literally hundreds of years of combined, um, you know, wisdom that we draw from as we do what we do. Right. And, and I'm sure it's the same for U-Turn. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're often treated like, um, well, you guys just don't understand. You know, your little, you little, you know, religious organizations, you really don't understand. We're the government. We're going to come in and do it this way. And, and, uh, so it's, um, I'm, I'm always, um, I'm always kind of, you know, I, I guess I hate to say it. I, at first it was irritating when I'd get talked to that way, but, but over time it just gets discouraging. I'm not really irritated anymore. I'm just kind of bummed out when I hear people that, you know, talk about us like, you know, well, you know, that's cute. Your little Christian program, you know, you know, where's your PhD in psychology? And I go, I don't have one. And, you know, but I have literally helped hundreds of men and women, hundreds, maybe thousands of, of men and women leave addictions behind, stop, you know, get completely get off the need for, for, um, depression and anxiety medications. Um, I've seen them, I've seen them, I mean, not all of of them, but I've seen plenty of them, you know, leave all this stuff behind. I've seen hundreds of them and hundreds of them go back into this community and become productive members in, in our society here and, and wherever they move to, you know, I've got, I've got them all up and down, you know, all across the country, um, you know, doing, doing life well, because when they were, when they were spiraling out of control, we were there for them and we let them in and they walked with us and we were what they needed. And, you know, again, um, I think, I think a lot of people, um, get angry with a gospel rescue mission. I was dealing with this with some folks on, uh, the internet the other day, um, on, on our Facebook, one of these Facebook uh, lines of, I think it was from one of the news channels that had said some bad stuff about us. Kind of, uh, they they don't go they don't go about it directly, but they'll kind of frame us in a bad light. And um, and the the framing was um, the gospel rescue mission um, forces people to go to a Bible study in order to get food and shelter. And, and there, and then it was just this long thread of those are a bunch of hypocrites. Those guys are a bunch of, you know, they're, this is the Christians shouldn't be able to do anything called charity. This is unloving. That's unchristlike. It's blah, blah, blah. And they just went after us and, and everything. And so I finally, I jumped in and I was kind of like, Hey, I'll tell you what. 
I'm, I've, I've been there for a while. I'm the longest standing, you know, at this organization. I'm, I've been here longer than any other employee here. Um, I know a thing or two about it. Let me answer any questions you have and, and, uh, about why we do what we do. And, um, in the, in the, um, in the, in the nutshell, what we finally kind of got down to was I said, well, here's the difference. What most people think of in helping that homeless person, what most people think of as help is providing food, clothing, and shelter. And what those things will do, it will provide, it will provide a level of help, a kind of help, but it's not the kind of help that I'm interested in. And, and so, I'm not interested in food, clothing, and shelter, although we do all of those things. Right. Um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get them out of homelessness. I'm trying to get them to where they're, they're no longer homeless. And, and what I mean by that is I want them to, I want them to be the kind of person that can make any choice they want pay for whatever kinds of food they want, drive whatever car they want. You know, they're independent and don't fall under anybody's rules because they're doing life right like the average citizen does. And and so for me, I'm more interested in getting them from homelessness to there, not from homelessness to fed or from homelessness to warm or from homelessness to within inside four walls. Those things are necessary. I'm not saying they're not necessary parts of it, but they're not the end goal. And so, and so if they were the end goal, I'd go, you're right. I'm a hypocrite. That's the wrong thing. To, that's the wrong way to go about it. And, and if that's what Jesus told us to do, if that's what the gospel was all about, then you're right. That's, that's, I guess, you know, I, I'm a bad guy, but, um, but I think that the gospel is, is, about becoming a new creation in Christ. It's about something different and better. It's, it's reminding mankind that they were created in the image of God and that they're capable of more than what they've become. And so we send that kind of a message to them and, and we, we put together that kind of a program. It's not food in trade for, or, or preaching in trade for food. It's you want, you want a way out of homelessness. I'm going to give you a Christian program, and here's why. It's the only way I know. I'm a Christian. It's the only thing I know. I can't tell you how to do it in a non-Christian way. I don't see a lot of success in the non-Christian ways. I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm just saying I don't think, I'm not impressed with what they're doing. Right. Well, and that's what the detractors don't say about both of our organizations. It's We don't hide the fact that we're Christian organizations, and we don't hide the fact that if you're going to come into our program, here's the requirements, and you're going to go to chapel twice a day, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. So to me— uh, Voluntarily, I've, right? Yeah. 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 I, they go, I want to do that. I'm, no one's making me. No one's twisting my arm. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, we're not forcing them to come into our programs. There's right. nothing about it. But they do know to, be, to stay in, at least in our program— you are going to attend the church services and you are going to do it. It's an expectation yep. uh, as part of being in the program. So up front, they know exactly what our organization stand for. They know exactly what their requirements are of them. And if they don't want to meet them, that's okay. Then maybe we're not the organization for you and exactly. that's fine. That's not an issue, but it's kind of... 
it's kind of setting up one of those straw man arguments so that they can have a a negative thing, uh, you know, to state again, oh, well, we require them to do all this. No, we don't require them because we let them know up front, hey, this is what we're about. This is what we know works. Like yep. you were saying, we have hundreds of years of collective experience here and thousands of guys worldwide that are, you know, successful family men, businessmen, whatever the case may be, that have gone through it and it worked for them. Yep. You know, so it's it's not like we're not causing we're not telling anybody to be homeless or to continue to live in their lifestyle. All we're saying is, hey, please come. We want you to be successful. We want you to go through every phase of the program that yep. there is and we want you to go out and be a success story in society and in, as you were saying, get off of probation and get out of the court system and get your kids back and we pay down your child support and all yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah. We, we want you to go from just surviving, which is really what the low barrier is of, you know, food, warmth and, and the basic necessities. Yeah. We'll provide those, but. If we're not going to keep you there, no. um, we love you too much to keep you just surviving. We want to see you thrive. Well, one of the one of the buzzwords right now that's really really big in in Grants Pass and Grants Pass is getting beat up pretty hard uh, over the lack of a what they're calling a low barrier shelter, and um, and and I will give kickback on a podcast or in a blog or, or in a comment on the, on the paper. Um, and, and, you know, they, it's kind of the, the idea of low barrier is pretty much a moving target um, because it, it, it ultimately means something that you're not, whatever you, you're a religious guy. So it's not something that you are, but, but generally um, I think what it boils down to when you ask what is a low barrier shelter, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of set set the stage with this idea, and then what I want to ask you is going to be, why are you not one of these? Why did you decide not to become one? Um, I know why I, we are not, but I'm I'm just going to be curious about your your answer. So, um, the low barrier shelter, what they're what they're saying is, um, if you let somebody come in off the streets. And continue to use and continue to smoke and continue to, at least for a time, that you'll eventually be able to wean them off um, and you'll, you'll eventually get them to stop. And, um, and, but, but because you let them come in the door that way, uh, that's low barrier. Now tie into that also. They, they really, um, we, we were, we were reported, the gospel rescue mission was reported as having mass twice a day. I didn't realize we were, uh, we were from the Roman church there. Uh, and you know what? Look, and I would have been fine with going, yep, we do mass twice a day. <laughs> you know, I'm okay with that. Um, and I, and I'd stand with my, with my Roman brothers and sisters on that. Um, however, um, you know, we, we, we do require chapel twice a day. Um, and, and to them, those are just too big a barriers for that person who's, um, out on the street, um, refusing to come in. Clearly that's too big of a barrier as far as they're concerned. Why now, now you guys have barriers, um, that are probably similar to ours. Tell me a little bit about them and tell me why you chose them as opposed to 
being not low barrier? Well, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, you know, in industrial psychology, there's this term called the Pygmalion effect, which basically means that people will live up to or down to your expectations of them. And I, I believe um, if you're truly going to help someone, um, then there needs to be setting a low barrier. All you're basically doing is, is to me, that's not loving. And what I mean by that is why would we want to enable somebody to continue on making bad decisions and not wanting to better themselves? Sure. Um, to me, I see the kind of work that we do almost as a triage type of situation where there's going to be those that have reached the bottom, they don't want to stay there, and they want help being lifted out of that. And then there's those that are comfortable in their muck and their mire, their sin, however you want to put it. And they're not, um, they don't care about being lifted out. So to me, it's like uh, by setting a high bar, it's saying, you know what, we have enough faith in you as an individual that you can, with the help of these various organizations, uh, the Gospel Rescue Mission, U-Turn for Christ, whoever it is, We'll help you. We'll aid you. We'll do everything we can to remove those barriers. But you're going to have to lift yourself up out of where you're at now and set a higher standards. No, you. Uh, I know both of our organizations, for instance, don't allow individuals to smoke. Well, what's the negative in that? You know, in the sense that one. I know I was in the store the other day and cigarettes are $10 a pack. So if you're homeless, the last thing that you should be prioritizing in your life is spending $10 on something that is, um, well, one, bad for your health, and two, you can do without. It seems like it seems like kind of a double standard that I hear voters want to vote in raising the taxes on tobacco. They wouldn't respect a cardiologist who smokes. Um, they 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 know that you know every one of them knows they shouldn't do it. We've we've voted out that you can't even smoke in bars and right. taverns in, in in the state of Oregon, and and yet it's usually oddly enough it's Christians that I get the most kickback on the smoking thing. And now now the Gospel Rescue Mission we don't talk about smoking like it's a sin. Right. Um you know for some people it might be but but it but I I mean it in in its in and of itself it's no more a sin than drinking is in, in that sense. Exactly. Yeah. Well and to me it just doesn't make sense if if you're going to help somebody um to better themselves body mind and spirit um, then why wouldn't you require them to get rid of uh, such a bad habit? And not only that, is cigarette, it, cigarettes go part and parcel with the old lifestyle. Sure. So why allow them to continue to have that trigger to their old lifestyle, their old way of life? You know, if you want to help somebody to change radically, there has to be radical change in their life. There has to be, you know, the old acquaintances, the old patterns, the old um, whatever it is, all have to change. You know, you can't, because the thing about an addict is it's all or nothing. You can't, you know, uh, the Bible talks about in all things moderation. Well, in an addict's life, there is no moderation. Um, whereas, Somebody may be able to go have a glass of wine with dinner. Someone who struggles with the addiction of alcohol, they can't. You know, there's no moderation. It's either all 
or or nothing. You know, right. there's no in between. And so, to me, um, you know, it's just common sense because we have enough faith in the people that we minister to. Uh, to know that they can overcome. They can overcome. Why would we want to uh, help them to sell themselves short in any of these areas? So, you know, in society, we're held to certain standards, right? As If we don't show up at work, we're going to get fired. If if we break the law, we're going to, you know, have legal issues. So why um, we all have certain responsibilities. We all have uh, uh, you know, certain standards were held to. So why would we not, as we're trying to raise these people up, why would we not want to hold them to standards and say, you know what, we love you enough to be able to put things in place for your protection, for your benefit, uh, so that by the time you leave here, you're equipped to be uh, a valuable member of society and contribute instead of take, take, take. You know, it's you have to change everything if you want to break those cycles in the life of addiction or homelessness or whatever it is. You can't say, well, um, we'll give you a place, we'll make you comfortable in your bad decisions and expect them to ever change. So that whole low bar mentality, all it's really doing is opening up the organizations that do it for um for those who use it to be manipul you know to be more manipulative and kind of continue on in their own lifestyle but be more comfortable in it you know um now now there's going to be somebody I want to play the devil's advocate here somebody's going to say yeah but what about those people who just can't who who can't who can't um who can't stop smoking uh, in order to come in, uh, who can't stop um, with their, you know, methamphetamine or heroin uh, addiction, um, you know, uh, you know, shouldn't you at least try to give them an opportunity to come in and, and you know, and get out of the weather at least first? What do you think about that? Well, there's a there's a cell, uh, you know, a, a safety issue. I understand, like, let's say, Opening up a warming center if it's, you know, below zero or whatever. Sure. But at the same time, um, if an organization is going to invest in somebody's life and allow them to stay 30, 60, 90 days, whatever the case may be, then, um, you know, there's... I'm not going to place on any the people who participate in our program. The thing that I preach to them most is, hey... The moment you walk in these doors, you go from active use to uh, not using anymore. We'll help you through it. We understand, and we understand there's going to be struggles. People struggle with their flesh. I struggle with my flesh. You know, uh, uh, looking at someone who, uh, who's been a raving heroin addict, let's say, for the last 20 years, that doesn't change overnight. The patterns in their lives don't change overnight. We'll walk them through it, but they got to be, they have to be, um, you know, accountable for their actions. They have to be responsible and do their best. So that's why they, they, they're, you're right in the sense that they can't do it on their own. That's the whole point why there's organizations like U-Turn for Christ or the Gospel Rescue Mission, because we will walk alongside them. We'll do what is necessary for them to be able to be successful. Out on the street in their own environment, I agree. They're not going to get off of meth. They're not going to get off of heroin or alcohol. But with the accountability that we put in place with 
um, the structure that we have in place, we give them everything they need to be able to make those changes in their life. It becomes a, it becomes a, a, you know, a point where I know in our program and, and in yours, it's like if they, if they're going to use, they have to basically um, go around all the accountabilities. They almost have to plan to use. It's not like sure. before where it falls in their lap. They sure. have to, it has to be something that they orchestrate in their mind. So we add additional barriers in, uh, to help them not. Right. But there comes a point where ultimately it's still going to be up to them to, you know, accept the accountability, accept the rules. Um, you know, we give them the nutrition, we give them all these things so that they, we give them every opportunity they can to be successful. And the ones that refuse or, or, or habitually break the rules, then there comes a point where, uh, you know, we have to kind of get them out. So those that are trying and that are really, uh, in the battle of, of changing their lives, uh, that they're not affected by those who, you know, um, set a lower bar for themselves or whatever. You know, sure. it's, and I think where part of the issue comes in is it's, it's the difference in thinking between, um, practical application of, of, of years of ministry as opposed to an emotional response to a problem. You know, they'll yeah. see somebody outside cold and they'll want to bring them in and warm them and feed them, which, you know, um, that's, you know, I, I love their heart, but are they really doing them any good by making them comfortable in their sin? All they're doing is just continuing to prolong the problem. That's It's funny because, um, so we we worked on one uh, one of our episodes um, where I talked with uh, some of my staff about this. Um, I, I put together, and, and I'm still kind of working on this video where we're doing um, um, five reasons homelessness is bad, and um, and so um, my my reason number five uh, was homelessness makes me feel falsely guilty, and and so um, and so you know, and and one of those things is. I, you know, I think Americans tend to think in terms of ways that it's all about me. So, so I feel guilty for your bad choices, you know, and, and so then the question becomes, what can I do? But it's not really, what can I do to help you not make bad choices? It's, what can I do to not make me feel guilty? And so, and so what I do is I give away free stuff. I give away, you know, $5 bills, sandwiches, you know, I'll go through the, the, uh, drive through somewhere and get, you know, a couple of tacos at Taco Bell or whatever, um, sleeping bags, blankets, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, my bottom line there is like, when we, when we create, um, things to solve the wrong problem, the, the machine doesn't work. We, we, we can't be upset that the machine doesn't work. It's just, it's the machines created to solve a different problem than the problem that exists. The problem that exists is that there's people choosing to be homeless. The problem that we're trying to solve is that I feel bad about it. And, and so what we do is we want to put up free houses and we want to, we want to put up, you know, you know, things that are things that we can throw money at. Because again, uh, 
we we tend to think in materialistic, you know, self-centered ways. And their problem isn't that they ran out of money. Um, they ran out of relationships long before they ran out of money. They're, in fact, it's that they ran out of relationships that actually drove them to a lot of their addiction issues. They had bad relationships that, that caused them to run into their addiction issues and, and a lot of their mental health issues and, and whatnot. You know, I, I keep hearing these statistics that talk about the percentages of people that are, that are on the streets that are, that suffer with mental illness. And I go, man, you know, what would be really incredible is go, Hey, let's find out how many of those mental illnesses are a symptom of being homeless rather than a cause of being homeless. Exactly. And don't forget to join us next time for our continuing conversation with Mr. Kevin Darr.